The Guardian. Of the questions to the Prime Minister, David Kidney. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Question number one. Mr. Speaker, before listing my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in sending our profound condolences to the families and friends of Maureen Dale Gostick, who was killed in Afghanistan on Sunday, the 25th of May. We owe him and all those who have given their lives in service of our country a huge debt of gratitude. Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. David Kidney. Allow me, Mr. Speaker, on behalf of myself and other backbenchers, to add our condolences to the family and friends of Marine Dale Gostick, uh, who was killed in an explosion in Afghanistan. And our thoughts are also with his two comrades who were seriously injured in that explosion. Um, the tragic uh, killings from stabbings are causing concern everywhere in the country, though I do stress they're not happening everywhere. Will my right honourable friend accept that alongside tough laws on possession and use, it's also important to take action with families, with schools and with communities to tackle a culture that allows some people to think it's acceptable to carry a weapon? Yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker, I, I too would send my condolences to the families of those who have suffered as a result of knives and violent uh, crimes in recent weeks. And every parent will want their sons and daughters and their teenage sons and daughters not only to be safe, but to feel safe in our neighbourhoods. And that is why knives are unacceptable and we've got to do everything in our power to deter them. Mr Speaker, that's why the average sentence for carrying a knife is rising and that's why there's three times as many people in prison for the possession of knives. That's why also we're using the powers of stop and search and in the London uh, Blunt 2, 4,000 people were stopped and 200 arrested and that's why wands and arches and metal detectors are being used and that's why we need visible policing to back up our safer schools policy, support for parents in their communities and the education programme we're carrying out. And that's why also, I think, Mr Speaker, the whole House will agree uh, that the presumption to prosecute on which uh, ACPOL will be laying down their proposals in the next few days, it is right that when we see young teenagers uh, below the age of 18 uh, carrying knives, that the presumption that we prosecute should now extend to 16-year-olds as well, and that is what the government proposes. Yeah. David Callum. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Marine Dale Gostick, who was killed in Helmand Province on the 25th of May. He died serving our country, and we should honour his memory. The Chancellor of the Exchequer is today in front of the Treasury Select Committee, and the next tax hike planned by the government is to hit family cars, including those bought seven years ago, with massive increases in vehicle excise duty. Is the Prime Minister really going to go ahead with this deeply unpopular tax when families are struggling with the cost of living? Or can he give us another of his trademark U-turns? <laughs> Mr Speaker, if he looks in detail at this proposal, the majority of drivers will benefit from this proposal. And if he, look, if, if, he also, if, he also looks, if he also looks in detail at his own policy, his policy says we recommend changes in VAD aimed primarily at influencing the used car market, where annual running costs comprise a larger proportion of total cars. And what he proposes is a ban in excess of £500 far worse than what he says we are proposing. When is the Prime Minister going to learn when is the Prime Minister going to learn that new green taxes should be offset one for one by cuts in family taxes? Yeah. 
The Prime Minister says we should look at the detail. Let me take him up on that, because he spews out statistics which actually, in any other walk of life, the trading standards officers would be in and clamping him in irons. This is, he says that next year half of all motorists will be better off or no worse off. That's what he's just said. The full effect of this tax rise isn't planned till 2010, and the Treasury have said that 81% of cars under this regime will be worse off. Once again, dodgy statistics from the Prime Minister. Now let us start. Let's start with when this tax was first announced. When it was first announced. Can he tell us, can he tell us why the Chancellor, in his budget speech, made no mention of the fact that this tax would hit people who bought a car up to seven years ago? Why no mention? It's in the budget documents. 24 of 30. 24 of 30. 24 of the 30 top models that are the most popular models will have the same or a lower tax as a result of it. And he says that he supports green taxes. He also said a few days ago that there will be tough choices to make for the environment and I won't shy away from them from one moment. <laughs> now, let us, let, us, let us assume we both agree on the need for green taxes. Let us, let, us, let us also agree that we both agree we need to deal with polluting cars and let him tell us that he now supports our policy. I have to say to the Prime Minister, if a company director got up and read out a statement like that, the authorities would be after him. He says, no, no, the Prime Minister says let's concentrate on the detail. Let me just take one of the things he's just said. He said 24 out of the top 30 car models won't be affected. That's what he just said. What he's doing when he uses that figure of 24 is he's treating the Ford Focus, right, for example, as one model. In fact, there are 40 models of the Ford Focus because you've got the saloon and the estate and the yeah. Yeah. Let, let the Leader of the Opposition speak. Order, you're defying the Chair, you won't do that. The Leader of the Opposition. I know the Prime Minister thinks you fill up a car with a barrel of oil, <laughs> but these are the cars people actually buy with their money. Now, there are 40 models of the Ford Focus. There are 40... I don't know why they're all shouting at me. I don't know why they're shouting at me. It's the Prime Minister who's given you the lowest poll rating since Michael Foote. Right. Right. Back to the Ford Focus. There are 40 models of the Ford Focus. Only three of them are better off. When is the Prime Minister going to stop using such dodgy statistics to back up his figures? Mr Speaker, as a result of the measures that are being taken to deal with polluting cars, a third uh, more cars are low polluting in this country and a quarter less are less polluting. So we are making advances in encouraging people to buy the less polluting cars. Now he says he, says, he, su he, says he supports green taxes. He says he supports green taxes. He, sa he says he Steve, Steve, Norris, Steve Norris, who was on his quality of life review, says we should return to the fuel duty escalator. Now, when are the Conservative Party going to be honest when they say they support green taxes and then they run away from every one of them? Is it not like the Leader of the Opposition when he cycles to work and then his car is following behind him? 
He's sounding more and more like a used car salesman today. I tell you, it's not my backbenchers that are... It's not my backbenchers that are telling me to get on my bike. It would do him good to get out of it, I think. This is not a green tax, this is a stealth tax. The former Transport Minister, the Honourable Member for Thanet South, I don't know whether he's on the Prime Minister's cold calling list, but this is, this is what he said. A former Transport Minister, a green tax you cannot avoid by changing your behaviour is not a green tax, it's just a tax. What on earth is green about taxing someone who bought a Ford Mondeo five years ago? He says that you can have green... Now, now he says, Mr Speaker... You can have green taxes, but he excludes any tax on a car from being a green tax. Does he not know that these reforms are going to save uh, 1.3 uh, million? Uh, of this. Honourable gentleman is too near the Speaker's chair to be shouting. It's going to be quiet. I was pointing out to the House that we expect these reforms to save 1.3 million tonnes of CO2 and increase the number of clean cars which pay little or no VAD because they're the least polluting cars by 650%. So we are making a change in the way we use energy for the environment. Now, the, the, honourable, the right honourable gentleman says, the leader of the opposition says, he wants significant incentives to encourage the ownership of vehicles. Why won't he support the measures that are before us? absolutely no answer to the question of how on earth it is green to tax someone who bought a car five years ago. The director of Greenpeace, the director of Greenpeace says this, it's this kind of measure that gives green taxes a bad name because it cannot change behaviour. Now a bit closer to home we've got a government PPS, the honourable member for Wolverhampton South West, who says quite rightly, how can you change behaviour when you're introducing a tax on action that took place seven years ago? Millions could be affected. This is retrospective taxation and it's undesirable. Now, if this is government policy the Prime Minister is so proud of, what's this man still doing in the government? Mr Speaker, we have put forward forward our proposals on VAD. The Conservatives put forward a document suggesting even more extreme proposals and radical proposals on this. He is backing away from his proposals, as he has done on just about everything else. I believe we've got to deal with the problems of pollution. He said he would, but he refuses to do so. This this Prime Minister is now so weak that members of his own government can come out and attack his policy and they they just sit there as part of his government. Now, the Prime Minister keeps telling us about reports to uh, the Conservative Party. Let me, let me read him some reports to the Labour Party. This is one from the Times yesterday with quotations from Cabinet Ministers. He's made terrible misjudgments. He's crap at communication. He doesn't seem to... Well, none of them have got the nerve to challenge him in a leadership election. Perhaps they'd like to own up to the quotes. Who was, who was responsible for this one? Come on. The government is being buffeted by storms rather than steering a clear course. Anyone? Hands up? Maybe... Maybe... No, no. Just, just ask the question. Why doesn't the Prime Minister realise that if he's still here next April, he's going to have to get rid of this deeply unpopular and unenvironmental tax? Doesn't he understand? If he doesn't get rid of it, they will probably get rid of him. Mr Speaker, I now know what the head of his own policy commission on the environment meant. 
when he said of the leader of the opposition, whether he's riding a bike or visiting glaciers, it's all part of just projecting a message. A lot of people will say this is just opportunism, and they may be right. Because when it comes to the issue of supporting action on the environment, we now find he runs away at every point. When it comes to helping the poor, he says he wants to help the poor and then doesn't support our tax cut. When it comes to helping the low paid, he doesn't support the minimum wage. And when it comes to helping the environment, he runs away on the environment. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I welcome the Prime Minister's comments on tackling uh, knife crime. Will he join with me in sending condolences to the family of 18-year-old Laura Thompson, who has been knifed to death in a brutal murder in my constituency? Does he agree this is an issue which affects families throughout the United Kingdom? And will he have discussions with the Scottish Government on how this can best be tackled throughout the UK? Yeah. I'm grateful to my honourable friend, and I do join her in sending condolences to the family that has uh, suffered so much as a result of a knife crime that has led to her death. Uh, as I said earlier, we have got to take every possible measure uh, to remove knives from our streets. Uh, that is why we have taken the action that we have done, and that is why tomorrow we will be publishing more proposals about what we can do. And I think it's very important that every parent gets the message uh, that they too are responsible when their children and teenage children are carrying uh, knives, uh, and we want to support them in every effort to get knives off the street. Nick Clegg. Mr Speaker, I'd like, to, I'd like to add my own expressions of sympathy and condolence to the family and friends of uh, Marine Dale Gostick. Mr Speaker, I think we've all been appalled by the grotesque spectacle of Robert Mugabe lecturing the world on food security, just as his government is blocking the distribution of food aid to his own people. But what message does it send that a man who has brought ruin and starvation to his own country continues to be honoured by a knighthood from ours? Does the Prime Minister at least accept that it's difficult to put pressure on other countries to do their bit to bring the Mugabe regime to heel if we don't take this simple, basic step? Will he take immediate action to strip Mugabe of his knighthood? Mr Speaker, I'm less interested in the symbols than the substance. And we have got to get elections in Zimbabwe that are seen to be free and fair. And we have got to get international observers to be present at these elections so that they are seen by the world as free and fair. And Zimbabwe deserves to have a government that is fully uh, democratically elected and put in place. And that is where I'll put my efforts. As far as the uh, famine in Zimbabwe and the loss uh, of lives around the world as a result of famine, I hope you will agree with me that it was important that we were represented at the UN conference yesterday. I agree with his tough words, but they need to be translated into action. So will he make it clear, will he make it clear that unless minimum standards are met for the conduct of the elections, improving, including the admission of international observers and explicit statements from Zimbabwe's military leaders that they will, will recognise the outcome of the poll, the UK will block all foreign currency remittances to Zimbabwe which fund Mugabe's odious regime and he will request our allies in the region and the world to do the same. We will of course uh, look at every action that we can take but the first thing to do is to make sure that these elections are free and fair and we are working with other countries to make sure that there are international observers uh, from other parts of the world as well as from Africa. There is a need uh, for hundreds of observers because of the uh, geography of the country and because of the threats of intimidation. And I'm working with the President of the African Union and the President of SADAC 
and other leaders around the world to make sure that the offer of international observers is there and is taken up. And I hope the whole House will agree that that is the first priority to make sure the elections are free and fair. Mark Duncan. Mr. Speaker, will the Prime Minister uh, accept the very wide welcome there has been for the shift in policy by his government, which contributed to the ban on cluster munitions being agreed in Dublin uh, last week? Uh, can the Prime Minister assure us that he is determined that the British Government will be among the first 30 to sign the treaty later this year to bring it into effect? Can he give us indications as to the timescale for ratification uh, in this uh, Parliament and also the timescale for the ending of the British Government stockpiles and also the removal of the US stockpiles? I uh, to uh, the, the Honourable Member for raising uh, this issue uh, and for his uh, uh, long uh, pursuit of uh, a ban on cluster bombs. I was pleased that the United Kingdom was able to break the deadlock in the negotiations uh, that were taking place, and I was pleased that other countries followed us in making their decision also that they too would ban cluster bombs. I believe that this treaty could now move forward to being signed. Of course, there were countries who were not present at these negotiations who also have to be brought in, and it is my intention to talk to all these countries to see that we can have a global treaty uh, that will outlaw uh, the cluster bombs which have done so much harm. Bill Wigan. What advice does the Prime Minister have for people who receive nuisance phone calls early in the morning? (laughs) The caller has a metallic voice, he just won't hang up, and has a very repetitive message. If the Prime Minister isn't able to put a stop to it, will his cabinet? (laughs) Mr Speaker, again, they they have the chance to ask anything on behalf of their constituency, and they reduce the debates in the House of Commons to trivia. I am happy... I am happy to be in contact and talking to people in the electorate. Perhaps he should do as well. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, the Prime Minister will be aware that, uh, oil, that uh, energy forecasters are predicting that oil prices will be $150 a barrel by the end of the year. And he will also be aware that because of the oil contract price indexing, gas prices follow oil prices making windfall profits for the energy companies worldwide. Does he agree with me, therefore, that there is need for a united and concerted effort to decouple gas prices from oil prices? Mr Speaker, I agree with him about the problems that have been caused uh, to every citizen of the country by rising oil prices uh, and rising gas prices. I think people do know that oil was uh, $11 a barrel 10 years ago. It is now $130 a barrel. And that means that petrol prices have risen and gas and electricity prices have risen. There are things that we can do internationally as well as nationally. We've raised the winter allowance. Uh, We've taken action to help low-income households. Uh, We've uh, suspended the rise in uh, fuel duty uh, for the time uh, being. But there are things that we can do internationally. One is that the European Union uh, sorts out the gas and electricity markets, and we are pressing for that liberalisation to go ahead in the next few months. Another is the inquiry that Ofgen is mounting into competition in the industry. But I do believe we need a dialogue between all oil consumers and gas consumers and gas and oil producers so that we can get the price of oil down to the benefit of all people in this country. Sammy Wilson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware that of the Sinn Féin threat tomorrow to bring down the Northern Ireland Assembly. And I'm sure that the irony of Republicans wishing to reinstate rule from London will not be lost either in this House or people in Northern Ireland. Will he give an assurance 
that the government will not cave in to this blackmail and that in the event of direct rule having to be reintroduced, something which my party will do its best to avoid, that the Sinn Féin agenda, which they have not been able to persuade the Northern Ireland Assembly to adopt, will not be adopted by his government or by this House. He he, he can be absolutely sure that we will stick to the policies that we have been pursuing. And I can also say to him that... uh, I have had talks uh, with the the leaders of all the parties uh, who are in the administration in Northern Ireland, and I hope we can move forward tomorrow, Thursday, uh, and that the new First Minister uh, will be nominated, as will the Deputy First Minister, uh, and I believe that that can and will happen. I would also like to take the opportunity of thanking the retiring uh, First Minister, who is not with us today, uh, for all his efforts on behalf of the peace process and on behalf of reconciliation. He truly has made a historic contribution to the future of Northern Ireland. Sharon Hodgson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can the Prime Minister tell the House why his judgment is that we need 42 days pre-charge detention and not to rely on the Civil Contingencies Act? Mr Speaker, this is an issue that the House will debate uh, next week, and I think it is important uh, uh, for for the House to know uh, that we have put in place what I believe are are major civil liberty safeguards to prevent the arbitrary treatment of the individual. And we put in place safeguards that require any order that comes before this House to be approved by the Director of Public Prosecutions. We would require a vote of this House, that is a second vote, before there could be any opportunity to go up to 42 days. We are putting in place the right for the independent reviewer to examine any case uh, where the up to 42 days is used. Uh, And at the same same time, of course, a judge must review the case every seven days. But I have to tell the House that for 11 years I've been looking at these issues, whether as Chancellor or in this job. And we've seen how the complexity and the sophistication of the investigations that need to be conducted have grown. And we've seen in one case only two years ago that there were 400 computers that needed to be examined, 8,000 CDs, 25,000 exhibits. And that compares dramatically differently from where we were 10 years ago. And if we are to take the advice of the police, the advice of the former head of the Counterterrorism Command, who just published an article this week, the former head of MI6, Sir Ian Blair, the head of the Metropolitan Police, the head of ACPO, they know that this power will be needed at some time with all the safeguards we put in place, I believe it's right for the House to vote for the up to 42 days uh, proposal that we are putting forward. Boris Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you for all your kindness over the years. Uh, can I use my last uh, few seconds in this great uh, cockpit of our nation, Mr. Speaker, to ask the Prime Minister to join me in congratulating the London authorities in successfully implementing the ban on alcohol on tubes and buses and in doubling doubling the safer transport teams so that we will have more uniformed people on the buses than at any time in the last 25 years. And can I point out to him that no matter how hard-working... the boss in here, not the Lord Mayor. And I've got to tell the Lord Mayor, it's only one supplementary he's got. It's a three. So you'll have to leave it at that. Mr Speaker, I'm sure the whole House is going to miss the contributions that are are made. Uh, Not not only the contributions in speech, but in writing, which have been actually more significant over the last uh, few years. 
but, but can I say to him, uh, I do welcome uh, the ban on, on alcohol. I hope he will also agree that the policy put forward by the Home Secretary and the Children's Secretary earlier this uh, week uh, to deal with the problems of alcohol amongst young people is a major step forward in holding parents as well as young people responsible for binge drinking. And I hope he will also uh, accept that the reason why crime has fallen in London is that there are 6,000 more police officers and 4,000 community support officers, and that would not have been possible without the previous mayor and without the decisions of this government. In the pending uh, equality bill, uh, would my right honourable friend agree to put uh, anti-age discrimination alongside religion, sexuality and disability at the heart of what uh, could be a very potentially world-beating bill? Many people think that uh, the claims of the elderly are only perceptions. Indeed, they are very true in the health services and accessing insurance services. And I think it would be rather sad, and I hope he would agree, that when we've introduced winter fuel and free bus passes, that notices suddenly went up saying, no old people here. Mr Speaker, the Government will be publishing our response to the consultation on discrimination law later this month, and we propose to have an equalities bill in the uh, Queen's speech. Uh, when it is uh, published uh, uh, later, later this year. I, I agree with them. There are 1.2 million people who are now working beyond state pension age, and there are many uh, people beyond 60 who need protection in law. That's why we introduced legislation to outlaw discrimination on employment grounds and vocational training uh, for age, and we did so in 2006. And that's why he can look forward uh, to the proposals coming uh, from my uh, right honourable friend, the Leader of the House. Angus McNeil. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister might want to watch Truth to Lies Oil in Scotland on the BBC tonight about Scotland's oil, which is not even at its peak. But can I give the Prime Minister another truth? My constituents in Lewis Harris, Euston and Barra are paying the greatest fuel tax in the UK with oil prices, with fuel prices over £1.40 a litre. That's about £6.50 a gallon. Will he give some of the 4.4 billion fuel windfall to offset fuel by 3% in the Scottish Islands, something he has already agreed to do for areas of rural France? It is precisely because Scotland is part of the United Kingdom that there are 200,000 more people in employment in Scotland today than 10 years ago. And just, just, as, just as Scotland benefits from all the measures that we've taken to deal with fuel poverty, too, so too North Sea Oil is part of the revenues of the United Kingdom. And I will fight to defend the Union of the United Kingdom. I hope all other parties except the Nationalists will continue to do so as well. David Cosby. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The hospice in my Bolton uh, constituency wants to take part in a national hospice uh, lottery draw, but they are effectively uh, prevented from doing so uh, by the limit on the uh, proceeds in the Gambling Act 2005. <coughs> uh, so will my right honourable friend take a sympathetic look at this legislation in order to uh, allow lotteries right across the country uh, to raise funds and, and deliver in their very valuable work? Can, can, can I say that the, the, the 2005 Act made it possible that the limits on society lottery proceeds were doubled uh, to £10 million for lotteries over the course of a year and £2 million for an individual lottery. Now, I know that the Lotteries Council and the Hospital, Hospice Lotteries Association submitted a request to the Sports Minister for changing these limits. We will obviously look at that proposal, but I remind them that the amount of proceeds that could be raised has doubled and we continue to want to do everything that we can do, both in government finance and in helping charitable fundraising 
for the great hospice movement of this country. Shelley's Varda. Given the Prime Minister's very keen interest in constitutional matters, what is his view on the very strong possibility that there will not only be one, but two unelected Prime Ministers in this Parliament? (laughs) (laughs) Mr Speaker, again, he's, he's got a chance to ask about employment, the health service, about transport. And and, and if if I may say so, the more important issue is what we do for our constituents, and that's what I'm going to continue to do. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My right honourable friend will be aware that many of our most prestigious sporting clubs, which have millions of young supporters, are sponsored by alcohol firms. Given the evidence that young people's alcohol intake is influenced by advertising, will you take this opportunity to organise a review of alcohol advertising in sport, particularly given the very welcome publication this week of the Youth Alcohol Action Plan? My honourable friend, uh, who who, who has got great experience as a a doctor, and I I praise him for the work that he has done within the medical profession as well, uh, I agree with him that all sports uh, should take a responsible approach uh, to how alcohol is advertised. The Portman Group, which, continues, which combines the drinks companies together, has agreed to place a voluntary ban on alcohol advertising on children's football shirts, and we are currently undertaking a review about the relationship between the price of alcohol, promotion and harm. So the very issues he raises will be dealt with as part of this review. James Pearce. Mr Speaker, two and a half years ago, as Chancellor, the Prime Minister signed a policy statement saying that domestic food production is neither necessary nor sufficient condition for food security. Given all the meetings he's had on the subject, does he still agree with that statement, yes or no? Mr Speaker, we are a trading nation and we benefit from our ability to trade with the rest of the world and food imports and exports will always be a part of what we do. And I don't think anybody believes that one country on its own, uh, operating in a global economy, will produce all the kinds of foods that it needs. So I would, I would say that we get, should get a trade agreement so that we can get food prices down. We should deal with the food shortages by encouraging production in other parts of the world. We have to look at the ecofuel issue, which has been raised by many people as a diversion from food production. But I do think we are part of a, a global economy and we should accept that that is a reality. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. When responding to my constituents who are rightly raising concerns about the rising cost of living, should I remind them, and wouldn't the Prime Minister agree with me, I should remind them, not only about the practical steps the government's uh, taking to help people on low incomes with their fuel bills, but also about the fundamental strength of our economy compared to the crisis we're facing 20 years ago. And it is this strength which enables cities like Sheffield not merely to regenerate its local economy, but most of all to creating one city in the last 10 years alone, 72,000, yes, 72,000 new jobs because of the policies of this Labour government. Even in the last year, under difficult economic circumstances, half a million new jobs have been created in this country. And people will at some time have a choice uh, whether to go with the policies of the Leader of the Opposition, who is economic advisor to the government that created 15% interest rates, 3 million unemployed, the biggest tax rises we saw in history, and at the same time had negative equity, or a Labour government that's got more people in work than ever before. Order. Ten-minute rule. Motion. Daniel Kofskinski. For more discussion and analysis, download Guardian Daily. 
That's The Guardian's news podcast, available first thing in the morning, Monday to Friday. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.